welcome to our study on the church that Jesus calls his own. Not the church that we have manufactured or altered, but the church that Jesus smiles upon. I want to be in that church. That church will be able to withstand the pressures, the strains and the temptations of the last dark days of humanity, the days prior to Jesus returning. In 2 Thessalonians, we have here an admonition to the church, not only the church at Thessalonica, but also to the church down through the ages and including our day, our age, our era, your church, my church, and each one of us believers who are part of the church. Now, brethren, you see, he's addressing fellow believers. Chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. You see, there was this wrong assertion, this doctrine that was being sown down through that region and in other parts of Christendom at that time, that Christ had already appeared. Well, he says, don't listen to that rubbish. Let no one, verse 3, deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, God, who now restrains, will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will ultimately consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. We have a, a marvellous series of messages there in those few verses of chapter 2 in 2 Thessalonians. A church that is under fire, a church that is faithful and giving the word of God without apology as the days get darker. And he says, a spirit of Antichrist rises in the world. Now, we are witnesses of that politically, morally, socially, and in every other way, even spiritually. We know that there is a spirit of Antichrist, a desire 
one would say, a desire to point the finger at Christ and to blaspheme and to undermine his demands, his commands and his testimony. And how do you do that? By ridiculing the church, by standing against the church and defaming it and highlighting all of its all of its failures, and there have been many. And when a pastor, a preacher, a denomination fails the Lord in one way or the other, morally or doctrinally or ethically or legally, well, the media gets onto that. And behind it, Satan is saying, go your hardest, tell everybody, how the church is a sham. The church isn't all that it's supposed to have been, and it's certainly not what you thought it was decades ago. It's nothing but a shell, and there's no reality in it. That's the intent of the spirit of Antichrist, the mystery of lawlessness which takes the things of God that the church preaches and declares to be the will, the purpose and the plan of God and rips it down. The seven pillars of wisdom that the uh, Proverbs talks about, fidelity and truth and holiness and, and so on, they are pulling down those pillars so we have a chaotic society and a community that doesn't know where it's going and certainly has become hardened towards God or confused. You see, a lot of people aren't hardened towards God. They're just in confusion. And the church needs to rise up before it's called away and caught away in the rapture that is soon to take place. Now, the Bible says there will be times of unprecedented persecution. Well, what kind of church is going to be able to withstand that? We have a number of structures in churches and denominations, and we can identify them very simply. There's the mother church structure, where like a powerful matriarchal spirit. The church sits with all its legality and its command and its authority, its splendor and its glory, and is able to lay claim to a history and a testimony reaching back over many, many millenniums. That's the mother church, sacramental, full of tradition. And yes, there will be true believers within the framework of that church. But then there's that other church that I have referred to before called not the mother church, but the smother church. Now, we have a lot of people that are in absolute exhaustion. They are exhausted because they are trying to live up to the demand of leadership and everything seems wonderful. And you would agree that you want to serve the Lord with diligence. You want to serve the Lord with passion. You want to serve the Lord with every fiber of your being. But the Smother Church is a church that errs on the side of service. 
to the point that you neglect your spiritual walk with the Lord. In fact, in so many places, there is a falling away from the church. And the falling away isn't because people don't love the Lord anymore or don't even love the church. They just can't keep up the pace. I heard someone say the demands of the local church are so unrealistic. And if you say to leadership, look, I'm sorry, but I can't comply with all the demands that you put on me, you're looked upon as being in some way, shape or form less, less than dedicated, less than spirited and treated as a second rate believer smother church, causing you to absolutely give of yourself every fibre of your being, your finance, your strength, your time, your energy, till the point where you just collapse. And sometimes a wrong spirit does enter in and you begin to say, well, look, if that's the church, I don't want any part of it. I'm just going to sit back and relax. I can love God without being part of that hepped up church where it's pressure, pressure, pressure. Some people will say it's pressure, all right. You can even hear it in the music. It's loud, it's demanding, it's overpowering. And that really is a glimpse of the nature and the motivation of the smother church. But then there's the other church, the church of deliberate, false and misleading information. I even was chided on email just recently by an ordained man who's been about 27 years in the ministry. And he said, I don't like your brand of Christianity. I don't think that the word of God that you espouse is indeed the word of God. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe. And off one after another, he peeled away the word of God until he was with nothing. He was believing in a God of his choosing and a doctrine that he manufactured himself. How dangerous that is. Now, I don't know what the reason is. I would say somewhere in his life, he has had a very bad set of circumstances, maybe disappointed in the church. Maybe the church let him down. Maybe he was a pastor in a church where he personally had a lot of opposition. I don't know. I know at one stage he did have an emotional and nervous breakdown. I even sought to uh, support him and go and see him. And I did speak to his wife and sought to encourage her. She was feeling it very, very deeply. But he has now taken another very, very painful series of steps away from the simplicity which is in Christ. Friends, I take the Bible in my hand and I embrace it totally and completely. And that's not unintelligent. That is saying, this is the word of the living God. This is what God has penned through approximately 40 scribes, men who have written, 
pages and books of the wonderful revelation of God. And I take Paul's stance, which is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and I read it to you. All scripture, not some, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction or adjustment, or instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to be thoroughly equipped. I want to know the truth because the Bible says, Jesus said it in the Gospel of John, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And we live in a day and an era of great darkness and we can't afford to be having the gospel of allowance or the gospel that we manufacture because it suits our outlook or our circumstance, all the demands and the pressures of this world. I don't mind if people think that I'm a fanatic just because I hold to the fact that all scripture is given by revelation, inspiration, illumination by God. Wouldn't it be funny if you went to your local doctor and you told your doctor the symptoms of your illness? You don't feel well, you have this problem, you have that problem. And what would you do if your doctor looked at you and said, well, if I believed the books of medicine that I studied and got a degree in, I would say this was your problem. Oh, but let's forget that. And here's the medical journal. Here's the book of medical facts. And what would you do if they tossed it in the bin and never referred to it ever again? What if they said to you, your doctor said to you, oh, I'm going to take a, uh, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and I'm going to suggest we do this and do that. And you'd say, well, what's your basis? What's your foundation for, for doing that? Oh, I just feel it suits me. I think you'd be up and out of that surgery very, very quickly. You want someone that respects their training and knows what they're talking about and giving heed to medical science as it is declared in those books, the medical journals, the medical books that they have available to them. And so it is, why would you go to a church where a pastor openly says, look, I know what the Bible says, but forget it. You see, that's the other church. The other church where, really sadly, it has gone into darkness. And the Bible says, when the church goes into deliberate darkness, it becomes apostate, deliberately defiant against the revelation of truth as depicted in the scriptures. No, we come back to the word of God. And we think of the Apostle Paul who suffered even persecution for being so straight 
and being so determined to keep to the word of God. He said there were those, and this is in the fourth chapter of Second Timothy, he said there were those, he said, that opposed me. Alexander the coppersmith, verse 14 of chapter 4 says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his work. You must also be aware of him, for he greatly resisted our words. At my first defence, no one stood with me, all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. It can be costly to serve the Lord in pure devotion and commitment. And the church has to learn that it doesn't desire to be popular. It desires to be faithful and faithful to the Lord. Yes, I want the blessing of Almighty God, but I may not be popular with the world. And I don't know how many times over the years having preached the word or shared the word privately with people and had a terrible reaction from them, only to be told years later, I wish I had taken you seriously instead of resisting the truth that you declared because I had to go through deep and dark periods in my life. But I came to the point where I was able to say, I believe God. So there are the Alexanders and there are the Demases who go back into the world and there are those that are slothful and those that are deliberately defiant. But you, yourself and I, take a stand where even if all men forsake us, we stand for truth because truth remains truth, even if other people deny it. And so there's the mother church, the smother church, the other church. But what about the brother church? Remember the apostle said, let brotherly love continue. You know, the church that Jesus brought into being and still exists, and we're part of it, I trust, is a church that is a brotherhood. Oh yes, there are different aspects of leadership and authority within the church, but it's not a dictatorial kind of authority. It's not a dictatorship. It's not one of total demand and servitude and slavery. It's one where we are brothers all. Just as in our unsaved state, there was none righteous, no, not one. There is none now in Christ who can claim any righteousness by the works or the deeds that we have done. We are all born again of the Spirit of God and all stand before God as redeemed through his blood and by his Spirit. We are a brotherhood. 
I remember when I first came into the Pentecostal church over 60 years ago, and I came and I was charmed by the way that young people would address the older people as brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. And certainly the pastor was revered because not only of his office, but he was a godly man. And he would often refer to people as brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. That struck a chord in my own mother's heart when she came. She said, you know, there's a lovely feeling in this church. Everybody seems to belong. Well, we do, because we all have one Father, one Saviour, and the Spirit of God has been common to us all and alike to us all in doing the same work of moving us towards and revealing us, or to us, the Christ of God. And so, because we came the same way, because of Jesus' words in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Because we have gone that singular way, we look to the left, we look to the right, and we say, you're my brother, you're my sister. We are united in this great fabric of family. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, some remarkable things. The disciples had come to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just like John taught his disciples to pray. I want you to teach us to pray. And I'm turning in my Bible to the 11th chapter of the book of Luke. And he says in these words, when you pray, verse 2, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. He didn't say, say, my Father. He says, our Father. It is a collective testimony that we are all one in Christ Jesus. And as you go through that pattern prayer that is known commonly in the world as the Lord's Prayer, you'll find these words. Give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil you see there is a focus on him and a focus on each other we are a corporate family flourishing in unity, flourishing in fruitfulness, caring for one another. And the Bible says if one member of the body suffer, we all suffer. If one member of the body is going through a hard time, we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So, we are defending the church, number one, by the word of God, pure teaching, understanding the scriptures, 
maintaining that stand and in our care one for another. We look out for one another. We care for one another. We support one another. We are there for one another. And so the defense of the church is one that we pray one for another and believe for one and another to be blessed. We look around and we say, oh, brother, so-and-so is not at church today. We care enough to contact him. Are you okay? Is everything all right? No, I'm not too well. And therefore, we have the opportunity to extend the love of Jesus and the compassion of God towards him or her, young, old, or in between. Over the last uh, few sessions that we've had, the different episodes, we've looked at Jesus defining the church. We've looked how easily we, in the natural, in the flesh, can defile the church and defeat the church and devalue the church and deplete and even dismantle the church so it becomes less powerful and having less a testimony than God intends. But oh, when we begin to pray for one another and care for one another and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, we are not only defending the church, but we are developing it and deepening the church so it becomes a very caring and wonderful family. How caring are you in your local church? I remember many years ago in Adelaide, there was a city church there that I used to love to attend. And often, to my pleasure, I was invited to speak there and did so on many occasions. And uh, there were a couple of family members in that church. They had originally grown up in the church and stayed for 40 or 50 years. I knew the old patriarch father. I never knew his wife who had died many years before I came on the scene. But I knew all of his sons and their wives and his grandchildren. And one day I was talking to the pianist, who was a brilliant pianist and the only daughter of this patriarchal man. And I said to her, Valerie, you know, uh, I notice on a Sunday that uh, you don't sort of just somehow uh, get around with your brothers and sisters-in-law. Oh, no, she said. No, no, no. We can socialise all the week long if we choose. We love each other. We love being with each other. But on the Lord's Day, we all realise that that's not the time for our physical family. It's the time for the spiritual family. And so, she says, we keep an eye out for newcomers, for those that may be having a hard time. And she said, over the years, our father trained us to care for the straying, to care for those that were going through difficult times and certainly to be welcoming of those that were new. We want to have that delightful atmosphere in the body of Christ of caring for one another and bearing one another's burdens and praying 
one for another. Oh, pray without ceasing that the body of Christ will be nourished and strengthened and blessed and strong and powerful and a place where when people come in, they can sense not only the unity of the Spirit, but the blessing of God that flows so beautifully and so freely. God bless you. It's his church. May you be a blessing with his blessing to those that come into his church. <laughs>